Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, a place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good morning. And together we hope to educate, inspire, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today is a solo episode with me and Joey, and we're going to be breaking down a topic that we are personally learning a lot about right now, and that's seed oils. Mm. Ah, what a buzzword, right? You know, it's funny because... I feel like I'm learning the most and not in the sense of like data and the the science behind it, but I'm having to unlearn a lot <laughs> because basically in culinary school and in commercial kitchens, life is seed oils. I know it. It's, it's sad. It's just how it is. So for years, a lot of what I was learning and training to do was, I mean, making olive oil, canola oil blends and, and different sorts of you know, these sorts of oils are what we use in kitchens or what chefs use in kitchens primarily, right? Mm-hmm. Cooks, mm-hmm. chefs all day long. Yeah. All day long. It's wild out there. All right. Let's, let's start out by defining what seed oils we're talking about today and mm-hmm. what we're not talking about mm-hmm. today. Okay. So when I say seed oil, sometimes you might hear these referred to as vegetable oils, which is confusing because they're not coming from vegetables. They're coming from the seeds of these plants. Canola which we've talked about on the podcast before, is a modified version of the rape plant. It's a beautiful yellow flower. It's A lot of it's grown in Canada. I believe we also grow it in the United States too. But canola stands for Canadian Oil Low Ureic Acid. It's an acronym essentially, but was invented in the 1970s and um, packaged for like human consumption. Mm-hmm. So relatively new oil. So canola oil is a seed oil. Corn oil... Okay, cotton seed oil, perhaps the original seed oil, and we'll get into that story. Soybean oil, safflower oil, grape seed oil, and rice bran oil. Rice well, sunflower oil. Did I say that? I, I don't think you did. Oh, I didn't. You're right. Sunflower oil's in there too. So um, there's three S's, there's three C's, and then there's a random grape seed and a rice bran. Just asking. What about peanut oil? That's a great question. So peanut oil is technically a seed oil because peanut is a seed. But according to Dr. Kate, who we'll talk about her work today and others, it doesn't fall in the same catastrophic category as the others, Mm. as the other oils. Okay. Um, It's an okay oil. So like I know Chick-fil-A fries everything in peanut oil, right? Chick-fil-A has other issues. I I have questions about where their chicken comes from. additives in there their salad dressings and their sauces right but peanut oil in general would be better to fry in than canola oil okay do people fry foods in canola oil i don't think they do oh yeah they do do they really in home cooking yeah often i mean shallow pan fry totally 100 percent. i'm just thinking like deep fry yeah deep fry well you're gonna find that rice bran oil Uh, in you know commercial kitchens Um, you're not really gonna find that on the shelves at the grocery store but if you look at if, say if you pick up a bottle of vegetable oil, right? I, we can all picture it. It's this bright yellow mm-hmm. oil. It sits on the shelf across from the olive oils. Um, if you flip that over, you can see what's in there. It's mm-hmm. usually a combo of soy, corn, canola, those types of things. So those are the industrial seed oils. And then the other oils that we talk about are what I actually call fruit oils, which are olive oil and coconut oil, mm-hmm. and even palm oil. What about so avocado oil? Avocado oil. Would that oil. be in there? Okay. Mm-hmm. So these are fruit oils. Coconut avocado, oil. Coconut, yep. 
and olive oil. Those are not industrial seed oils, okay? Those are things that the plant is pretty generous in releasing those oils. They come out pretty naturally. It's a, it's a relatively gentle process. And you're talking about a different chemical makeup. A lot of um, uh, good components in olive oil. It can be a really beneficial fat, even if you're heating it. There's some controversy there. But those oils are traditionally what we would have used, depending on where you lived mm-hmm. in the world. Um, lots of European cooking obviously originates around really beautiful olive oil. And then you have your animal fats and your your diet, your um, dairy, mm-hmm. right? So you've got butter from the cream churned in milk. You've got actual animal fat, lard, tallow, duck fat, you know, all the various poultry fats. And those are the things that we cooked with for ever and ever, (laughs) right? And so it wasn't until there's there's a couple infamous stories that I think are helpful. So um, one of them hits kind of close to us because it starts out with Procter and Gamble. So um, Procter and Gamble are two brother-in-laws. Those are their last names. And they had a, one was a candle maker, one was a soap maker. And in the early 1900s, the lard and tallow, which you would traditionally make candles and soap with, the prices were completely locked in by the the few people that owned those, you know, the meat industry, the big guys, the big honchos there. So they were trying to figure out a way to produce candles and soap in in a system which they could have some control in because they didn't own these animal livestock operations or the the processing plants, right? So they were kind of gated from that community. So they started investing in cottonseed oil because we had these little black seeds from cotton that is essentially a a waste byproduct of the textile industry. And and then we had these this invention of this this big roller, big steel roller that could press these seeds and extract an oil. So understanding that, you know, they could shift their actual base ingredient from an animal product like lard or tallow to a cottonseed oil was helpful. So they, I think they ended up buying a couple cottonseed mills and, and were using this to create their candles mm. and their soap. soap. Okay. And this is, of course, the, the beginning, the, the opening story of the major corporation that is P&G today. So it's an interesting story, but they started realizing that with the increase of electricity going into people's homes, that their candle business was like not looking so hot. They're no, like, <laughs> people aren't going to be burning as many candles here. Okay, so we're we need to we need to innovate, and they are coined for discovering or inventing the process of hydrogenation. So you're adding a hydrogen atom to the cottonseed oil. It essentially makes the molecules stackable or hard in a room temperature setting, whereas cottonseed oil would usually be liquid. And um, they invented Crisco. I mean, that's that's like the first claim to fame, right? Crisco is the original baking shortening. Um, it is the, they, they had this like incredible campaign. It's actually really brilliant. They, they developed an entire cookbook around Crisco and distributed it for free 
They really focused on getting the housewives who were used to baking with lard and butter and transitioning them to what appeared to be like a cleaner, more pure cooking mm-hmm. fat. And so Crisco began. Crisco actually stands for crystallized cottonseed oil, which I was like, that's not appealing. That's not appetizing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where this stuff began. So we're talking about late 1800s, early 1900s. So this is new kind of it's also where our conversation around like the pasteurization and homogenization of milk happened right it all circulates around this mass exodus from an agrarian culture to industrialized urbanized setting and yeah there's lots of amazing innovations that come during that time period but we have to recognize food was a major Mm -hmm. source of innovation Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting because when you like I've been learning about seed oils for many years and it's hard to wrap your head around because the, the evidence available to the average person like me, someone who's not credentialed, someone who doesn't have a background in biochemistry. I don't have a medical degree. I don't have a whatever X, Y, Z. You, you tend to want to look for the experts who can just give it to you straight. Like, just tell me what's up. And it, and it's like, the phrase that, you know, cholesterol and saturated fat can clog your arteries makes a lot of sense if you're just taking it at face value. Yeah. And that's kind of the narrative that our major organizations have have agreed with, right? The, the American Heart Association is a big fan of seed oils. The uh, Our USDA guidelines tell us to consume seed oils over traditional saturated fat encompassing fats um the world health organization the who also endorses seed oils national institutes for health like all of these big players and people that the american public you would think would be able to look to and get a clear answer on something as critical as dietary fat I mean, it's really critical in your body that you get your fats right. And I think that's why we're having this conversation even kind of in the midst of our learning is because I think if we can, if we can even just pause for a moment and say, hey, the jury might still be out on this. Maybe let's go the safest route and we'll talk about that at the end. Um, I think that information is important because it's going to take 20, 30 years for those massive organizations to change their tune to match what the current scientific evidence is pointing to. But in that time, we've had numerous authors and speakers and, and food advocates come out, right, and kind of battle the large systems. And that's where we see this debate of what should we eat? Should our fat be mostly comprised of polyunsaturated fatty acids or what we've known to call PUFAs, mm. right? And then you get this whole PUFA thing and then people are scared to even eat a nut. Or should our fat be comprised of a mixture of our saturated fats and monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated, you know, like, and should we be consuming those traditional fats that we've maybe eaten as a human race for many, many centuries? So that's the frustration in this conversation is that the conversation oftentimes gets shut down before it's even had because you've got these big speakers in the arena all touting and and kind of sharing the same story but for if you peel back some layers you'll find that this new innovative 
introduction of these modern fats, I'll call them, is actually wreaking havoc on our health. And that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. So any thoughts there? Well, the first thought that comes to mind is that I feel like we're often learning that, man, over the years, our average death rate or like the age of death has gone older, meaning like we're living longer as people, Mm. which is, which would in some capacity say that, man, things are working out well for us. Mm-hmm. And then you contrast that with the health of the average American. Right. Right. And, and I, I can't speak for the world, but for America, it's, <laughs> I don't remember what the, what the age is. Maybe you could even look it up what it is today, but it was, it's like in the eighties or something mm-hmm. that, or 78, something like that for, for a man. And like maybe like 82 or something like that for a woman. Anyways, the, the, death age average age of death is like older than it, than it ever has been or the at least it's been going in a positive direction from like a we want to live longer perspective but then if you look if you zoom out and you hear everyone's like man but everyone's obese and everyone's um you're having heart issues and there's all these allergies and and like the general health of americans is worse today than it was you know 100 years ago or 50 years ago mm-hmm. but we're not living as long mm-hmm. and it's just a weird contrast to, to think about it's like oh we're living longer but we're less healthy mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so i guess i don't have any proof or data to back any of that up other than to say sounds like right maybe what we're doing in the immediate like early stages of our life isn't so great for us i.e. our nutrition, our health, our food, our activity, how fit we are. But then some of the innovations we've made medically mm-hmm. are able to keep us alive longer. Yeah. I don't know. That's just kind of how it sounds to me. Things like preventing disease, things like uh, I don't know, penicillin, these sorts of things are mm-hmm. probably some of the innovations that have helped keep Americans alive longer. Whereas why we're unhealthy, I'm thinking we're kind of getting to that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about seed oils in the sense that saying that they're easier to mass produce, it's I'm guessing it's just that they fit into a factory setting better than having to rely on an exterior like a like a animal source. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I was gonna read this quote from um, the book Deep Nutrition, which I'm currently reading. And the author says, this is on page one twenty nine. Food manufacturers use vegetable oils for the same reason other manufacturers use plastic. It's easy to manipulate chemically. The public can be taught to ignore the consequences of it. And best of all, it's cheap. So yeah, it's so, exactly what you just said. And, and that's a lot of what we deal with on this podcast are ideas that are inherently, or at least starting off, good. Mm-hmm. So, hey, we want to make something that is cheaper for for the public to buy we want to make it in more quantities so it's easier and we have we have more access to it and you know ignorantly we want it to be clean and healthy well it's interesting too when i was researching for this episode a lot of the disgust around animal fats so like lard and tallow used to be in every single kitchen Mm -hmm. 
right? And then the book The Jungle came out, which kind of talks about the horrific realities of the meatpacking districts in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Not saying that that book is wrong, but it's funny how, how when you step back, you can see how clearly public opinion is persuaded by these various narratives, taking true, taking truths, but then also twisting science and continuing a narrative that is no longer serving us, even though we know that in the scientific community, if you talk to a lipid scientist, they're going to come to a different conclusion than someone who is an official at the American Heart Association, which is just a bummer because there's so much argument back and forth. And so it, it is, it's this, do we, do we agree with, a part of the story and then we don't question the rest of it mm-hmm. um if you go to your cardiologist today i can tell you right now they're gonna tell you oh yeah limiting your intake of saturated fat is a good idea and what what what's the highest you know containing highest source of saturated fat it's it's the fats that come from animals mm-hmm. butter lard tallow right um People might come to the agreement that olive oil is good for you and heart healthy and great, but even olive oil as an industry is is highly tainted. So you have to be really careful mm-hmm. where you're getting your olive oil from. So it's it's another another frustrating sticky point. I mean, it's the same factor. I mean, this we we talk about this concept a lot, and that's that pastor pasteurization didn't start as something that was going that, that was intentionally created to be negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wider distribution. It's still not, for the most part, something that is intentionally negative. Mm-hmm. It's not like people that are out there pasteurizing milk are like, man, this will really, this will really get some people. You know, there's, there's no like, it's it's an idea that was created to help people or to prevent potential issues, and that's what makes this, this these these discussions so crazy and the people that are the sides when they start taking sides of like you know you're you're feeding you know viruses and pathogens to your family because pasteurized milk or raw milk is disgusting right yeah and then the raw milk side is like you know pasteurized milk is just you know dead you know cow juice that you should never drink (laughs) right and people get all upset and angry in reality it's like both sides have some there's some truth there. That's that's the point I was kind of uh, making earlier. It's like there's always some truth in the argument when it comes to the dietary debate. That's why I like to infuse history. I like to understand how things unfolded. Mm-hmm. And I also want to understand how things are functioning in the body. Not This is what I don't care about. I don't care if as a scientist you're able to gather a group of people who can verbally tell you their diet and just record oh yeah i ate this 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 mm-hmm. and this and these are my health outcomes because that can be twisted a million and one totally. ways and unfortunately that's how most of our that's that's wildly simplifying it right i know people are going to get frustrated by that but even diana rogers when she was on the show said most of our research when it comes to nutrition and dietary trends are just people relaying what they ate and then us consolidating the outcomes of their health and attributing that to the foods they were eating without maybe taking into account their activity, their stress level, their lifestyle, their socioeconomic status. And then also you can't say that, like, here's another piece I want to discuss. There's there's a difference between a 
polyunsaturated fatty acid, a PUFA, right, that you'd find in a nut in its whole food form, and one that you'd find of the refined oil sitting on the bottles at your grocery mm-hmm. store. So when people, I've had people message me like, is there, is what's for dinner, you know, PUFA free? And it's like, no, like polyunsaturated fatty acids are not the enemy. It's the refined oil pressed from these seeds that's highly rancid and oxidized that causes issue. So I'm going to call them oxidized polyunsaturated fatty acids Mm -hmm. are the problem. And what we're really looking for is what less than the, just the history, because the history is good to know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we don't want to get into a heated argument if we don't know exactly how that ingredient, that food, that oil actually impacts our bodily health. Mm-hmm. And so there's, it's just, we're kind of just looking at the science of this thing. Mm-hmm. So let's get into, what, what, what do you want to go to next here? Well, first I wanted to talk about, aside from the, literal oil section in the grocery Mm -hmm. store where are these things because a lot of people in the real food space might assume that they're not consuming a lot of seed oils Mm -hmm. or quote vegetable oils but they're hidden in like almost everything so kettle this year came out with an air fried variety of their chips and so everyone's like oh air fried yay we love that and then if you flip the package over the ingredients are potatoes and then vegetable oil in parentheses it's like either canola or soy oil and then sea salt. Mm-hmm. So even in an instance where a chip appears to be air fried, that that potato was still lubricated with something. So they're using seed oils in that application. Oftentimes when you buy roasted nuts, those nuts are not just roasted and their natural oils are like expressed out. They're, they're often coated with a canola oil. So now you're adding canola oil onto these nuts, which would have been an otherwise healthy food. And you've got a little bit of that there. It's so interesting. Just I want to touch on this because that's another thing that I feel like uh, um, as, a, as a chef, I just want to talk about air fryer for a second. <laughs> okay. Because calling something an air fryer gives this perception that you are frying things, like deep frying them uh-huh. with air. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to let people know that that is not true. <laughs> That's not how these things work. And and we don't oftentimes take a stance and like say these are the facts that we know them 100%. But I can tell you that I know 100% that an air fryer is not frying things with air. Okay. An air fryer has been positioned and packaged to get you to buy it. Now, can they be convenient and usable? Yes. I'm not saying don't have an air fryer. You know, find one that's you know not full of, you know, um, that nonstick coating. Totally. Mm-hmm. An air fryer is basically a convection oven. Mm-hmm. So a really high powered. Just a small compact convection oven. It's not high powered. It's not like it's going at higher than 500 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's just a convection oven. So now, um, are there maybe some innovative tricks that it plays where you can put things on a rack so the convection oven's hitting all sides of the of the food? It's not just sitting in a pan. It's not just yes, totally. Do they have perforated pans so that the, the circulation of that heat is going all like it's being circulated? Yes, mm-hmm. but it is not deep frying food with air. That's not happening. So if <laughs> if you're gonna fry something in an air fryer, guess what? It needs some kind of fat to do that. Yeah. So if you're going to make your chicken wings in your air fryer, well, oh no, Joey, I, I just put my wings right in the air fryer. Well, guess what's on chicken? 
guess what's in there? There's fat in your chicken wings. Yeah. Okay. It's called chicken fat and it's amazing. It's delicious. It's so That's good. why your chicken wings that you're doing in your air fryer come out like, dude, they're amazing. <laughs> it's because you're frying them in chicken fat. Right. Okay. If you're making, you know, something in the air fryer, it needs fat. Okay. I just need to say that because the air fryer, like, heat that we're getting right now like in, in the world is like crazy people people are thinking that they've just found the secret to it's like dude what, what air fryer you know i can fry my french fries and there's no fat it's like seinfeld episode it feels like mm-hmm. anyways with continue the, uh, with the yogurt the frozen yogurt the, yeah the, the non-fat, non-fat frozen yogurt that's it um where else can you find these seed oils okay so unfortunately like if you live in kroger land like we do in cincinnati um I love the Simple Truth organic line. It just Mm -hmm. makes it really convenient. It's often much cheaper than maybe another like major organic line, a major brand. But if you look at some of their, I would say most of their packaged goods, like crackers, cookies, um, things like that, almost all of them contain... Fruit gummies, fruit rolls, ropes, these sorts of things. Well, even just like their organic chocolate chip cookie or their organic cracker, any organic baked good that needs a fat in it is going to have sunflower oil. It's usually like expeller pressed canola oil or whatever. And expeller pressing is just telling you the first half of that processing. Okay, so expeller, because I used to fall into this trap too. I used to be like, oh, I'll buy canola oil, but I'll buy organic expeller pressed canola oil. And um, that doesn't that doesn't mean that that oil is not still refined and deodorized and rancid and oxidized by the time it gets to you. All of that stuff is still true. It's just expeller press refers to the pr- the mechanical pressing of the seed versus a chemical extraction using like hexane or something. So um, it's the first half of the processing, which is great, but then it's still doing mm-hmm. all the other processing that every other vegetable oil on the shelf totally. is getting. So don't fall into the trap of like, oh, if I buy expeller pressed or it says that this has the an expeller pressed oil in it, it's still going to be challenging. And, and I'll hit on the highest level points I can, like I'm talking to myself or a fourth grader, okay? Because mm-hmm. this is the frustrating thing about this conversation. I believe fats are so essential and getting the right fat in your body is so essential. But when we're all eating junk fat, oxidized fats... No wonder we're all so sick. Okay, so the the problem with these seed oils is that, one, they are incredibly heat sensitive. And that's a bummer because to extract these oils from these seeds, you have to use heat. And so because these are polyunsaturated fatty acids, it means they've got um, some double bonds where oxygen can come in and enter the molecule and it that's where you hear the word oxidizing so it changes the chemical makeup of these and makes them um, toxic to the body truthfully so you've got all these opportunities for these really really delicate oils that given if we didn't have modern machinery we would never be able to access these oils and these seeds but because we have modern day machinery we can um Then you've got the processing, which heats these oils sometimes up to 12 different times. Then you're left with a really oxidized polyunsaturated fatty acid, which in the body can, um, one, it's an unnatural fat. The body's like, what is this? What are we doing here? Two, 
you've got the issue of free radicals in your body and this kind of chemical storm of everyone wants to be paired up together, but then you've, you introduce this kind of rogue player and now you've got destruction in it from a cellular perspective. And now you are releasing this, what they call cascade of um, free radicals in the body from the vegetable oil that has the oxidized fatty acid, right? So you take this really hard to extract seed, you press it, you you get the oil out under high pressure, you heat it, you have to oftentimes deodorize it because it smells really bad. You wouldn't, it's not like, again, it's not like the gentle process of extracting olive oil, like that just readily comes out. Um, and so all of those things together, then you add in the fact that the uh, the omega ratio, which we should be sitting at like a two to one ratio when it comes to our fatty acids, omega threes and omega sixes, the omega sixes are off the charts. And so now we we sit at a 20 to one ratio, right, where we have so many omega six fatty acids in our diet, which can be pro inflammatory. And we, um, because we're because it's in all of these little foods that we're talking about, you might be packing your kids lunch and in the bread, there's a canola oil. And in the cracker, there's a canola oil. And then in the ranch dressing, there's a canola oil. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. it, it adds up. It's, it's compounding. It's everywhere. So you've got these um, highly rancid, highly processed oils coming into the body. And um, the whole argument for them is that, well, saturated fat is worse for you mm. because it clogs your arteries. Mm -hmm. And the thing right now... Cholesterol cholesterol butter don't eat butter it's gonna raise your cholesterol yeah that's a that's a whole other piece of it but the thing right now that i think is helpful for me to understand is that the body doesn't just take in dietary fat and release it into your bloodstream it has a system just like it has a system for when you eat a piece of meat that protein gets broken down through digestive enzymes and then utilized and packaged in a certain way so that your body can actually, you know, use it to function and build muscle and things like that. Um, same thing with vitamins and minerals. These things are assimilated in the body in an appropriate, very systemized way. Fat is the same thing. So when you hear people say saturated fat will clog your arteries, it's as if they're implying the saturated fat, the hard at room temperature fat is also going to be hard in your arteries, which is not the case. So what I really like about the book Deep Nutrition by Katherine Shanahan, who's an MD, she breaks down this process called the lipid cycle. And she explains how when you consume fat, it is um, encapsulated by a little protein um, outer layer. She likens it to an M&M, how in the middle is the soft chocolate and the outside is the hard candy shell because you then would get chocolate all over your hands if you had M&Ms in your hands. And so she talks about this process of the lipid cycle and how your body's beautiful way of distributing the dietary fat that you consume to the various tissues who need it is you eat the dietary fat. There's a specific type of... Um, lipid protein that is created in the gut from eating that fat it you encapsulate that fat in a little protein ball like your m&m and then it's like a package with a shipping label 
right? So it knows exactly where to go in the body. The body knows what to do with it. There's um, little conversations and and communication with the um, with the cells that line your gut lining, mm-hmm. your enterocytes. So all of this stuff is is working in a beautiful way so that your fat can get packaged, enter the bloodstream as a packaged envelope encapsulated in protein and then get distributed where it needs to go. And then as the fat, you know, gets deposited in various places where the cells need it, then those lipid proteins shrink in their size. They end up getting um, deposited into the liver or flushed out by the liver's bile and then kind of the system starts over again. Your body makes these things, but it also is how it handles the fat that we take into our body. So one, understanding the fat conversation, assuming that the fat that you eat just ends up going right into your arteries is, is kind of wild. But in the book, she talks about how the wild, I mean, I, I feel like the polyunsaturated fats when they're oxidized are like these rogue teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. And they scramble the shipping label. So now these fats don't know where they're going. They're unrecognized by the receptors. It causes this chaos in the body in the bodily system so now the fat that we're taking in isn't able to be distributed where it needs to go and we're left with um a pile up in our blood of quote the bad cholesterol and then we have a lowered level of our quote good cholesterol so she breaks all that down and i think that that is a helpful tip when we're thinking about how we're going to take in information about health and um, fat specifically because I'll never forget when I was researching for the first nutrition curriculum for kids. I was on the USDA's website and I've told this story before on the podcast, but they they wanted me like the so the USDA develops a curriculum mm-hmm. for kids to teach them about food. This is what's used in the public school system most of the time. And so as a teacher, they wanted me to get a straw out and get a little bowl of olive oil and get a little bowl or sorry, like canola oil <laughs> and then get a little bowl of butter and have the kids try to suck through the straw each fat. And the demonstration there is that while well, butter would clog your arteries because it's solid at room temperature and the canola oil, the vegetable oil, the um, seed oil, as I would call it, would go straight through. And so you'd think, oh yeah, that's heart healthy. That's got to be like moisturizing to the arterial wall. It's got to be good for you. Um, and I hope that by that very uh, fourth grade explanation of the lipid cycle in the body, we would be able to understand that's not even an accurate representation of how the body works, right? Mm -hmm. So we can't be having these conversations about what's a healthy fat and a good fat if one side of the conversation is arguing for a reality that that doesn't even take place in the body. And even if it did take place in the body, I hope you're conducting that experiment in a room that's 98 degrees because then the butter would be melted and they would both be going through the straw. But regardless, that's not the point. The point is the body is not is not releasing fat into the bloodstream. The body is processing it, packaging it in a specific way so that it can get deposited where it needs to go. And the destruction, the oxidization of these polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are found in high concentrations in the seed oils, 
is what leads to your whacked out cholesterol levels. It's what leads to the, the literal frying of your arteries and of the lining of your, your blood vessels. And so that's where it seems like people who are experts in this space are arguing the exact opposite. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? It, uh, it's it makes some sense to me. <laughs> only 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 in that I I've heard a number of these different things you've said before because we've talked about it and it, it like it's easy for me to see that demonstration of can you drink the butter through the straw or can you drink the canola oil through the straw and recognize like that's a ridiculous example mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. The way we package up fat when we eat it. It makes sense to me. Of of course, you can't take a syringe and a needle and inject canola oil into your bloodstream and be good to go. Right. Like that just doesn't work that way. Nor could you do that with butter. You can't do that. <laughs> right. So this stuff is not just going into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And so obviously our, our, our stomach is processing fat or our body's processing fat and then distributing it like, like any other macro right Mm -hmm. we're not just injecting straight protein into Mm -hmm. our veins either Mm -hmm. right or Mm -hmm. carbs so yeah that all makes sense to me in the like that the logic of that all makes sense to me Mm -hmm. yes cool so i think for me someone who if i'm gonna play like devil's advocate for a moment and i'm going to paint the two opposing sides right on one side, you have all of our regulatory agencies and, you know, your local nutritionist and your cardiologist saying we should decrease our intake of saturated fat, which also means that you should decrease your intake of natural fats because a lot of these saturated fats are naturally found in the traditional fats that we would have eaten, mm-hmm. like we talked about before, your butter, your lard, your tallow, your coconut oil. Goodness, coconut oil was like, they tried to demonize it. When was that? Like 10 years ago? And it created a whole storm of media frenzy because people got really upset. Um, anyway, so so you've got those folks who are like, decrease your level of saturated fat and in turn, increase your level of polyunsaturated fat by the consumption of these vegetable oils. So you've got a modern processing of an oil that, again, is not willingly giving itself up. We have to... There's like a viral video of the canola oil process. I don't even know if it's accurate or not, but it's it's gross. I mean, it's like goopy and it's it's really a machine like lubricant. It shouldn't even be food, but here we are and it's food. So you've got that side. And then you've got the side that says, hey, actually, we've been living by eating a combination of, of these types of fats. And yeah, we've we've consumed uh, food products that are high in saturated fat for, again, as long as we've been consuming animals and as long as we've been milking animals. Mm-hmm. So is it the... Is the modern um, epidemic of heart disease attributed to an age-old food? Or could it be the modern processing of a brand new type of fat? And I think what I brought up earlier, the reason I brought it up, is because many people would say, well, we're living longer than we ever have. Mm-hmm. Right? We're got, we got to be doing something right. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's hard to kind of like dispute that. I mean, at least I can't. But my response to that would be, hey, you know what? There's definitely a lot of really positive innovations that have happened in the world medically today that help keep us alive longer. 
I don't think anybody would argue that. Keeping people alive is something that, for the most part, we are getting better at. Mm -hmm. For the most part. Now, with actual day in and day out health, I think we're getting worse. Mm -hmm. I think. I think we're getting worse. Based on what I see in general population's health, and in, even just in close proximity to me of what people are doing from an activity point of view on a daily basis. Because mm-hmm. this is not just food. It's not just food. From, you know, general population health is not just food. No, there's lots of factors. But I would say in the discussion of food, because we have pushed so far into the commercialized, convenience, packaged foods, we are definitely withholding nutrients and in introducing things that are more manufactured than we ever have before. Mm-hmm. And the correlation of that to obesity and heart disease, those sorts of things in my brain have to be connected mm-hmm. in some capacity. So anyways, that's, that's kind of my Joey's opinion, two cents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think from a practical level, I think you have to do two things. You have to take a really honest look at where you might be consuming these oils. Because if it's true that this highly oxidized rancid oil can enter your body and, and, and she even goes in, in the book, Deep Nutrition, she even goes into detail about how even fats that are labeled zero trans fat, because now the, the, medical establishment has recognized trans fats are are toxic and bad for you there's oils on the market that'll say zero trans fat where that's just a labeling flaw and they can contain um, up to i believe five percent trans fat still as long as they fall below a certain threshold and you might be thinking oh that's not that much of a you know bad unstable fat in my body it's fine well she, she talks about the methods that the body undergoes to literally multiply those Mm -hmm. and then she she brings in the whole issue of blood sugar and glycation which we talked about in our glucose episode too so you've got two battling things uh just wreaking havoc on your cardiovascular system to be honest so we talked about what they are right so what seed oils are Mm -hmm. we've talked about where they can be found which you know basically is everywhere yeah, so that's what I was going to talk about. I, you got to take inventory because if you're eating out at a restaurant, even if it's Chipotle or wherever, there's seed oils there, okay? If you are like virtually any restaurant, if you're going, now you might be able to go to a nice sit-down restaurant and say, hey, can you fry my steak and butter or do you have olive oil back there that's not mixed with canola oil? Mm-hmm. You might be able to ask for that. Any fast food or like semi-fast food restaurant is going to be using these industrial oils. More often than not. It's not like everywhere, but more often than not, it's definitely seed oils. Yeah. I I can't think of an example that would cook with real olive oil unless they actually state it. Mm -hmm. Or frying in lard. What was that that you said the other day? It was like a heart attack waiting to happen. And it was like this restaurant that was actually frying their French fries in lard. Yeah. There There was a food challenge guy he's an influencer he goes out and sees how big of meals he can eat and i stumbled across a video and he went to this place in uh, i can't remember what state it was in and essentially the restaurant's called like something heart attack or something like this Mm -hmm. and in the restaurant it's just a bunch of food items that are it's like everything has butter in it and everything is 
you know, the French fries are fried in lard and, and like the milkshakes are, you know, you can't get a diet soda. Like this is like their shtick, right? Oh, that's funny. And, um, yeah, it's funny. Um, the frying in lard piece is interesting because that would, that would be my absolute preference. And, um, because lard is a saturated fat, it's very heat stable. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a beautiful cooking oil. It's great for frying. Um, I would so much rather eat a French fry fried in lard totally. than I would eat a French fry fried 100%. in anything else. Yeah. And actually that's what they used to do. Totally. This is why when you fry up your chicken in your air fryer, it tastes so good. <laughs> it tastes Because so good. there's chicken fat in there. Yeah, exactly. And chicken fat is outstanding. Poultry fat in general, like duck fat is so good. Mm. Anyways. My dad said they used to grow popcorn and uh-huh. then they would, they would, they would uh, cook it up in chicken fat. Yeah, it sounds good. That sounds very good. So... Take inventory of where you might be getting these, right? Check check your labels, flip your cracker boxes over. I'm not saying like be scared and, and avoid it at all costs. But be aware of it. Be aware of it. Yeah. Because... You're going to start to notice it everywhere. You're it's gonna, just everywhere. You're going to notice it everywhere. And you can ask yourself the question, like, are you okay waiting the 30-year span for competing evidence to get settled? Or are you more comfortable taking what I would consider probably a route I'm more comfortable taking, which is a more historically influenced approach to my diet, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to eat the things that in moderation I know would have been available to me. I'm not eating sticks of butter, okay? I'm not saying go carnivore and only consume fat. I'm not even saying go keto. I'm just saying for us, super simple, we stick to naturally occurring fats, Mm -hmm. okay? We stick to fats that can be either literally made in my house, like I can churn cream and make butter, (laughs) or fats that are readily available through minimal processing, extra virgin olive oil sourced from one place, coconut oil, um, avocado oil, if you like that. Sometimes the the flavor gets in there. I'm not a huge fan of that, but if you like it, totally fine. Mm When we're talking about making salad dressings, I'm using olive oil, um, sometimes avocado oil, but not really baking. I'm melting coconut oil or I'm using butter and uh, we've made a lard pie crust before. We, we have lard in our freezer I still need to render. So I'm going to go towards the naturally occurring fats, even if I'm saying that the science is unsettled mm-hmm. in that 30 year waiting period. What am I going to do? Um, and then after that, I think you can, if it's something that you actually want to look into, you have to be strategic in where you're finding your information. Mm -hmm. So you can't just go, unfortunately, I mean, you can just go to the American Heart Association and look on their website and read it and say, okay, the science is settled. But then the problem is you've got this nagging group of individuals who are screaming the exact opposite message. And anytime that happens and they're not being financially incentivized, I think we should at least listen to what they're saying Mm -hmm. because what else would be their motive? They're not just trying to make zero money, get harassed online and, Mm -hmm. and write books for, for their general enjoyment, right? They're probably trying to communicate a message. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my approach to seed oils. Let's talk about alternatives in the kitchen. Yeah. And you just talked about a number of them. And I'm going to talk about a few just because um, cooking for me was, and, and, and I'm not going to go too far in this because I know that we're, we're probably wrapping up here, but the culinary world, I learned so much, even just in the application, what works well 
sauteing vegetables to cooking up scrambled eggs to there's there's so much convenience in having a bottle of something on the counter and it. throwing it in a pan and cooking mm-hmm. and you get really used to that yeah and i think the one of the first things that i've i've learned and i've gotten better at that i think would, is actually a really amazing from a chef perspective cooking method mm-hmm. when it comes to utilizing fat is cooking in order so so here, here's what i mean so let's say we're going to make potato soup mm-hmm. right one of the ways i'm going to start my potato soup is because i want bacon in my potato soup yeah it's just it's a good ingredient it's pretty standard pretty normal well i'm going to cook my bacon off in the pan mm-hmm. it's going to render out a bunch of fat and then i'm going to use that fat as my frying fat for my aromatics now that's just a starter, right? So you can do that with all proteins. So if I'm going to cook chicken before I saute my vegetables, you can sear your chicken off, render the fat out, yep. and cook your vegetables. Anyways, that, 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 that's the first thing that I do. Second thing is, man, basically anywhere you would use canola oil, you can basically use coconut oil. Yeah, literally. Uh, what's the one that doesn't taste like coconut? So we actually buy refined coconut oil, which you're like, oh my gosh, it's a refined oil. And that doesn't taste like coconut. It doesn't taste like coconut. And the processing to refine that flavor is not going to be as molecularly destructive as Mm. we're talking about a refined vegetable oil. Right on. Um, So, and then with baking, we talked about it. And then with with breakfast foods, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Butter can almost always also be used. You just have to be careful of burning the butter. And is it true that when you fry with butter, you can add a little bit of olive oil to the pan? It can help. For like increasing the smoke point yeah and or the burning temperature of the milk solids mm-hmm. but you could also use ghee i assume yeah and clarified yeah mm-hmm. cool anything else you know <clears throat> i think we covered it that that was a basic our approach to seed oils mm-hmm. how we're looking at the subject it's controversial and unfolding some of the things we didn't talk about is like traditional Maybe a traditional seed oil you might find is like flaxseed oil. Oh, well, that's been around. That's been around for forever. So so why do we care? Um, but that's that's something that, again, the flaxseed oil is readily available. So it's like how easy, how hard is the extraction process? Because mm-hmm. the harder it is, the more the more detrimental it is to our health. And that's how I look at it. Anyways, um, thanks for listening. We uh, you know, what we've got going on. If you've been listening to the show. We got shoptheh.com. You can get your lard dish soap on there, mm-hmm. tallow soap. Mm-hmm. We've got everything from sourdough tools to coffee and teas. Get on shoptheh.com. Get yourself some responsibly sourced products. We're trying to help eliminate the need to read the label <laughs> with that shop, right? So reading the label is definitely something we encourage, but we also want to go back to a world where it's not like we have to read the label of everything we buy because we're anxious about what's in it. Totally. We've got education products on homegrowneducation.org. We're on Instagram. You can find us there. I'm at Joey Hazelmeyer. Elizabeth is at Liz Hazelmeyer. You can find us at homegrown underscore education. And until next time, <laughs> that's a wrap.